Xbox On. Welcome to Xbox On, the podcast with one host about one console, the Xbox One. I am said host, Jesse DeRosa, and on today's episode, we'll be talking about the latest Xbox news for the week of January 23rd, 2020, including new leaked images revealing the backside of the Xbox Series X have surfaced. Cyberpunk 2077 and pretty much everything else has been delayed. The top 20 best-selling games of the decade have been revealed and more. Let's begin episode 33 by looking back at episode 32 and going over some uh, audience feedback, comments, questions, etc. Uh, discussion regarding last week's show. Um, so these are all all but one are pulled from the YouTube comments. Our first one being, again, from Dead Captain James. He says this week, I don't think the Xbox will ever get the sales crown again, and I personally don't care about that as long as they stay competitive and keep making games I'm interested in. PlayStation is such a global brand where Xbox is North America, South America, England, and a small bit of Europe. And if I might add in there, James also... Australia. It's pretty good in, in Australia, but yeah, spot on pretty much. And to that, you know, that was his comment and to that. I, I agree completely. Um, and I added in, you know, think about it like this last generation, the PlayStation three outsold the Xbox 360, despite what we believe the narrative to be, you know, a lot of people kind of think of it as the Xbox 360 killed. Well, if you lived in the U S the great old US of A that you, you, might, you might think that was the case because yeah, the 360 did outsell the PS3 in this country and it did seem optically like the like audiences were really into 360. A lot of people who are traditionally PlayStation gamers were on 360 last generation, but despite the 360 not only having one year longer than the PS3 on the market and having the kind of optical battle won here in the US, which is such an important country for console gaming, it still, it still was outsold globally by the PS3, meaning that yeah, the PS3 totally demolished the 360 internationally, particularly in Asia, which is just uh, absurd considering, you know, how hard Sony dropped the ball at the start of last generation and how well Microsoft came out the gate last generation. And if that can be the case and PlayStation can still win, then who's to say Xbox can win in a generation where both brands are competitive or or let's say Microsoft comes out the gate swinging with the Series X and let's say PlayStation kind of like middle, like drops the ball a little with the PS5. Who knows? I still don't think... Uh, much to what Dead Captain James is saying here, I still don't really think that there's a, a chance for Microsoft to beat Sony just in terms of sheer units sold, which is why that's not what Xbox is thinking about. That's why Microsoft has made the decision well before you know any of us were thinking about it to shift their focus to other ways to be profitable or to be more competitive. And they decided, it seems like based on, you know, what we're seeing Xbox become in the past few years, it seems that they've decided to make that change in the, in the form of services and things like that. So game pass and Xbox live, and then shifting the places that Xbox can be. We're getting to this point where consoles or gaming platforms are less about like hardware, like less about a box and more about a brand. So it's, you know, Xbox isn't going to be just a box in the future. It's going to be a brand. It's going to be a service. It's going to be a platform that you can enjoy on multiple types of hardware as we're seeing now. And, and I think PlayStation is going to get there someday too. And it's really smart to point this out that, you know, it's just not about the competitive nature of like who's selling more units in terms of consoles. It's really about 
who's generate who has more players on that platform. So it doesn't matter if it's on a PlayStation or an Xbox. It matters, you know, if if the brand they're playing is PlayStation or Xbox. And that's what Microsoft's after. And they're trying to get a head start on it by, you know, being on more places with things like XCloud on your phone and Game Pass on your PC. And they in that regard, they have a head start over Sony. And they have the upper hand to Sony because Microsoft is is a better software company. They're better they're better suited to be in more places than a company like Sony. Microsoft, you know, if you if you scope out of just the Sony versus Microsoft battle in terms of video games and you look at like the whole the entirety of Microsoft as a company versus Sony as a company, Microsoft's much more equipped to handle this kind of this kind of shift into like like game streaming and PC gaming and things like that because I mean, we think about PC gaming, yeah, sure it could be a Linux or a Mac computer, but let's Let's be honest, the majority of PCs are, are Microsoft Windows computers. Microsoft's at a massive advantage when it comes to spreading their brand across multiple types of hardware as opposed to Sony. And I think they're trying to really take that, use that to their advantage in this race to make the kind of cross hardware brand of Xbox um, be more pervasive than what we than what we think of console brands being, you know, in our in our current state of mind of just it being a brand like a, a specific piece of gaming hardware and nothing more. Um, but yeah, that's 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 a great point, and I think it's really important to distinguish that at this point. And this is part of what makes this upcoming generation so interesting is that it seems like Sony is going for a very traditional gaming generation of here's your next powerful next gen console. It's a typical gaming console. It's all about the games. Whereas Xbox seems to be going in this really dynamic route of like. Here's a really powerful console, but you don't have to buy it. You can also play our games here, here, and here. And we're going to support last generation also. And it's just two very different strategies. I don't know which one's the better one to go with, but it's awesome to see both brands being taken, to see both brands take such a different approach so that we can like study two totally different games and see you know, which one, which one pays off better in the end. Our next comment is from my brother again. He says, Journey into the Asian market is going to be a, t- a difficult transition for Xbox. Best case scenario, it will still be years until they're truly competitive. That being said, xCloud is the best way to reach that market, I think. And I'll just stop right here. He, he goes on to talk about doubling down on PC and you know, all this stuff. And my brother's absolutely right in what he's saying. And we'll get into this with one of our stories today. But yes, the best way to reach the Asian market is through it's through mobile and PC. You're never going to reach the Asian market by trying to sell them a console, especially the Asian market outside of Japan, where Japan's kind of the only case of like where you can really sell gaming hardware. You know, the Nintendo Switch and the PS4 sell very well in Japan, but even in Japan, most people are playing games on their computer and their phones. And then you go to countries like China, everyone's playing games on their phone. That's how you reach the market in Asia. And I think it's really important for Xbox to be doubling down xCloud in that regard, which we'll see, like I said, in a... um, We'll talk about that more in a story coming up. Uh, next up, we have a comment from my my buddy Kevin Dubose who says, why can't I see your face? Uh, to which I say, Kevin, you dense idiot. This is a podcast, you fucking idiot. That's why you don't see my face. And then our final comment is actually, it was actually text messages from my buddy Hunter, but we're going to, we're going to, I asked him if I could use his text as a question on the show. So we're just going to use, we're just going to use that as a question. We're going to pretend it was a comment or a five-star review, which you should be leaving anyway for this show. Um, But my buddy Hunter says, how would you counter those arguments from people who suggest that by supporting the previous consoles fully for several more years, that the Xbox Series X is not going to be fully utilized or at least not utilized to its fullest potential for a few years. And so 
This is obviously in regards to the news last week that Microsoft is planning on supporting this generation's hardware with next-gen games for quite a few years, for at least a few a full year before we start getting exclusives that are only for Xbox Series X and beyond. And you know, to this, I think I actually I, I was I was listening to like a someone explain someone explained something, uh, their their opinions about kind of console generations earlier this week that kind of encapsulate exactly how I feel about this as well. And what they were saying was, you know, you think about like the leap of like the Super Nintendo to the Nintendo 64 and, and you look at like an N64 game and there's not a single, there's not a single like realm in which a game like Mario 64 could ever run on a Super Nintendo. It's just not a possibility. It's nothing. It's never up for debate. It's just not a thing that could be done. Anything like Super Mario 64 is leaps and bounds beyond anything we would ever be able to, to, to run on a Super Nintendo. And that was the difference of next gen for a long time is we would think of it in like these very concrete ways because it was so cut and clear, right? You look at like an Xbox 360 game and there's no way in hell you get an Xbox 360 game running on the Xbox original. Like if, for example, like let's think of a great Xbox 360 game, a game like Mass Effect 2 or something, right? Like how the hell would that run in full H, you know, in 720p HD on on the original Xbox? Because console generations just used to be so cut and clear. Where it was like, okay, the, the ambition of a game for this generation is so much greater than that of last generation, and it just one obviously the hardware had to evolve in order to accommodate the vision of newer games. That's not so much the case we see these years as we get into these more like incremental iter- iterative generations. And I think the perfect gen- the perfect or the most concrete example we have of that would be either the jump from like Xbox 360 to Xbox One or even Xbox One to Xbox One X. And so let's let's talk about the first one. So from the Xbox 360 to Xbox One X. So there are games like Titanfall. Titanfall absolutely ran on 360. It was it was released for 360. And a game like Titanfall, let's even talk about Titanfall 2, something that came out a little more mid-generation. Let's think about it. It's an online multiplayer FPS with a campaign like Call of Duty or Halo. Yeah, we've seen games like that. Like what, even though Titanfall 2 is a fantastic shooter, it's one of my favorite games of the generation, it's absolutely something we could have seen on 360. Now, from a graphical standpoint, yeah, sure. Obviously, it looks way better on Xbox One, but if you scale down the the textures and the graphics and everything of a game like Titanfall 2, you could absolutely achieve that kind of ambitious project on the Xbox 360, there's no, there's no like way in which like Titanfall 2 is just far too ambitious of a game to have been pulled off on last generation. As long as you use like last generation, like, I don't know, like textures and graphics and things like that, it could have been achieved. And then you look at things like the Xbox One X, which is like, obviously you can, games just look, even though it's a far more powerful console, it's like, yeah, games only look just somewhat better. It's like, yeah, you got 4K now and textures are clearer and graphics are prettier, but it's like, it's not like, it's, we're getting so far ahead of ourselves. And that's how I see us going with the Xbox Series X, which is, you know, this is my long-winded way of saying the Xbox Series X is going to be next generation, but it's not going to be next generation in a way like there is no realm in which you couldn't downgrade this game's graphics or textures or something to make it run on older hardware. That's not even at all the case. So I think as we see consoles, particularly the, the Series X, kind of spec more like a PC, the more we're going to be able to kind of get games on multiple generations of hardware and just have it be as simple as like 
you can slide the specs of the game to accommodate, you know, the, the hardware you're playing on. And that's what I'm saying is that like the Xbox Series X, think of it like a powerful gaming PC. You can play it on max settings. Now think of like the Xbox One as like a really cheap, like $450 gaming PC or not even a gaming PC, a PC that you're going to force to play games that really shouldn't be playing games anyway. You could probably run your game. It's just going to, you're going to run it at low settings and it's not going to look or play nearly as well as it would on the powerful hardware. But you can still do it, and I think I think we've gotten to that point where like games are just so good looking and powerful, and we fully realized our concept of like what video games are in this like three D like high con- higher concept of you know pushing past the early three D era that we we know that like whatever game developers are working on for next generation PS5 or Series X, it's not necessarily something that couldn't have been pulled off on last generation hardware. It's just something that's going to be more sophisticated. It's going to be something that looks prettier, has clearer textures, uh, renders faster, loads faster, has, you know, more enemies on on screen at once because it has the higher RAM or things or things like that, right? But that doesn't mean you can't downscale the game or spec it run on lower hardware so that if someone decides you know i'm going to play this new this game on on you know older hardware i can't just play it anyway and put up with slower load times and and like lower resolution and and worse graphics and a slower frame rate it's you know you know what i mean so i don't know um look at a game like like halo infinite i promise you it's going to be the prettiest coolest looking halo of all time but it's going to be something that if you really want to scale it down, you could pull it off on the Xbox One, um, but it's just going to look prettier on the Xbox One X. Now, this has been like a really long-winded way of, of getting around the whole point where it's like, well, if you're if you're developing for the lowest common denominator, then it's going to hurt the highest, you know, the highest performing piece of hardware, isn't it? Because if you're just solely developing for one really powerful thing, you can go all out. But if you have to spec your game for the low power thing, the mid power thing, and the high power thing, then aren't you compromising your vision a little bit? To which I say, traditionally, yeah, that's how we think about it. But I just, again, I just don't think so anymore because the way the x86 architecture of like the Xbox One and beyond works, is just that you basically just make games like you're making the PC game and then you can just spec it to the hardware. And again, not that I'm technologically savvy enough to know like how easy that is. It just seems like that's where we're getting with games to where it's just it's just a matter of, you know, making it as powerful as you want for the, the highest powered console and then just being able to scale the game accordingly. So I don't know, maybe when I play Halo Infinite on the Series X, I'll be able to have like twice as many enemies on screen and I'll be able to have smarter AI and the game will run at 120 frames per second and the game will look like the most stunning game I've ever seen. But if I really don't give a shit, I can play the game on the Xbox One X and then it will look like Halo 5 kind of where, you know, there are fewer enemies on screen or the the frame rates like locked at 60 or like the textures and resolution are just a little lower but you still get the gist of the game you can still play the game and I just I don't know I see games moving into more of a fluid kind of state like that rather than kind of the old school mentality of like oh well you know every console has such specific architecture and hardware and every game is so you know every console has such drastically different capabilities that you know it's not like you can just make a game for one console and sweep it on every platform it's not like the the wii era where it's like a game on xbox 360 can't just be pushed onto nintendo wii because a nintendo wii is like missing a ton of functions and features and three or in two it's like significantly underpowered so it's just it's just a different conversation i think we're having these days where where the the gap in in next generation performance is just so minor compared to what we've seen in the past and so iterative that it really is more a matter of 
get next generation hardware if you just want your games to look and run the best as possible or just keep the old hardware and kind of upgrade when you need to when you absolutely need to like like that guy's still rocking an iphone 6s you don't have to get an iphone 11 right now but goddamn will you be much happier with it uh with the performance and everything if you do it's not hurting iphone 11 users that you're still running an iphone 6 but i mean it's hurting you and i think we're gonna see a kind of similar story play out with next generation hardware so that was a really long kind of way to get around that but um i'm pretty confident that's what we're going to be seeing so i just really i don't know i want to drive that point home repeatedly uh, also, if I'm wrong about all that, it'll just look super fucking funny in a few months when the Xbox Series X is out and you can all point to this episode and say, look at what a dumbass you are. So that's it for this week's feedback, comments, uh, audience kind of shout outs and everything. Uh, and for those who haven't yet commented on the show or haven't wrote in with any of your questions or anything like that, just remember, don't be shy. Reply. Uh, next, let's get into what I've been playing. But before we get into what I've been playing, let me tell you what I've been eating, which this week is Popeye's chicken sandwiches. Now, just a real quick little tirade about Popeye's chicken sandwiches. Let me let me just say there are a few there are a few examples of when like the internet gets all like lit up about something in overhyped about something and and tells you like this new thing's happening, it's a craze, you gotta go try, it. you gotta go be a part of this, you gotta go be in on it. And they're actually right about the hype because Popeye's chicken sandwiches, for those of you who haven't had them, first of all, fuck you if you haven't had one. Second of all, they're just incredible. They just really are that good. And I am in the camp, I'm firmly in the camp that a Popeye's chicken sandwich is better than a Chick-fil-A sandwich. And that's that's high praise because, you know, I'm traditionally someone, you know, I'm from Georgia. I'm from the home of Chick-fil-A. And um, Chick-fil-A is something I grew up with and I have a soft spot for. Uh, but I ate so much Chick-fil-A in my youth and I'm at a point in my life where when I eat Chick-fil-A, I'm a little tired of it. I find the chicken sometimes be a little soggy, which I don't like. I wish it were a little crispier more consistently. But when I eat a Popeye's chicken sandwich, it is just the perfect amount of crisp. The chicken is so tender, so juicy. Uh, they get the mayo on there. I love the mayo. I don't have to put it on myself there. Do you know you want the mayo? The pickles are so crisp and juicy and delicious and uh just everything about it the bun is soft and buttery they they imitate that chick-fil-a bun so very well and outdid it with their own chicken which is better than chick-fil-a's it's just a phenomenal sandwich all around now i will i will give chick-fil-a credit for just about i think their fry setup's a little better with a chick-fil-a sauce and whatnot um but if we're just talking purely sandwich that chick that popeye's chicken sandwich really really is something special. And if you haven't had one yet, I highly recommend you either A, kill yourself or B, go get one immediately because it is a phenomenal way to contract uh, diabetes. So let's let's jump into what I've been playing, get back into the video game talk of the podcast. This week I've been playing actually just like a shit ton of games, which is really nice. I had a, I had a nice week in terms of gaming where I just, I did I did a little bit of dabbling on everything and I got, I got really in depth with some things and, and whatnot. So we'll just kind of go down a list of what I played. I played some more Halo 5 multiplayer, always a good time. I really love Halo 5, so that's nothing new. But then I, I decided to knock out one of those games on my uh, games I didn't play last year that I thought I was going to get around to. So I did What Remains of Edith Finch. I sat down across two nights and played it um, with my girlfriend. And, you know, this is obviously the easiest of the five games that was on my list of things I needed to get around to last year. Uh, but I got to say, this game was really, really quite awesome. Obviously, the, the genre, this kind of walking simulator narrative, two-hour driven kind of game was, was popularized um, by Gone Home when that came out back in what, like 2013, 2014. And that, that one still is probably my favorite within the genre. I think Gone Home is an absolutely phenomenal game. And what, what makes Gone Home so special is that 
You know, the environment tells you all the story. You explore the home and you learn everything about all these characters without a single line of true dialogue, which is just so super special. And the way they pull it off is so well done. And it's really not an easy feat whatsoever. Um, but, you know, that that game, Gone Home, is such a phenomenal game that if you haven't played it, that's just an absolute much, must play. Um, what Remains of Edith Finch, however, I also really, really love it. But surprisingly, I love it for like the exact opposite or like for being the exact opposite of Gone Home where it's like it has like the game is basically centered around this really interesting home and and like in and around the home uh the the finch home and at first i was like well i don't like how narrative driven the game is because it kind of detracts from like the purpose of doing the gone home thing where you just quietly explore this house and learn about all these people's lives through studying the things inside the house and kind of the the state in which the house was left when you come back to it but actually, that that isn't at all the case because this game has tons and tons of dialogue, and I found the fact that like the game is constantly narrating over everything while you're exploring the house. I actually found that extraordinarily complimentary to what the story that they they tried to present here. I I think it's awesome. It's the game is it's weird. It's a little sad. It's a little quirky. Um, it's kind of like in a sadistic way, a little funny at some points. But it's just a really excellent story. It's just one of those games that like. You should, you really should play it in one sitting. It's it's only like an hour and 45 minutes. It's really not long at all. But it's one of those games where it's like, I don't know, you sit down and then you, you just play through the whole thing. And at the end of it, there's just a, this weird mixed bag of emotions where it's like, I'm a little sad about it. Like I kind of wanted to tear up and cry a little bit at the end of the game. But I was also just kind of like, just like a little confused by it. And just, I don't know, it's a very like mixed emotions kind of game. And I really enjoy that about it. And it's absolutely must play. And I'm a little upset that it took me so long to get to. But nonetheless... Uh, what an excellent game, and I'm glad I finally got that knocked off the list. Next up, I played Doom 2016. Now, this is a game I'm, I'm a little ashamed to admit this. I started years ago, and I played like almost exactly half the game, and then I just fell off completely for whatever reason and never picked it back up. And so I was like, let me let me write that wrong. So one night this week, I just sat down and played the entire second half in one sitting. Uh, just like shit through four and a half hours of the game and played through the end. And what a fantastic game. Doom 2016 really is one of the one of the great games of this generation. It's I mean, obviously, I'm a Halo fan, so I'm prone to like games like this. But it's like it's a fast paced kind of arena shooter with just like amazing enemy variety and amazing gun variety. And everything feels so good. The movement, the gunplay, the verticality, just everything about the game feels so good. And it's just so awesome that the game is constantly just kind of like spitting in the face of other modern games where it's just like it's not really about the story i kind of tuned out the story halfway through because i realized like i just don't give a shit about it and the game totally rewards you for not caring about the story by just giving you constant amazing gameplay that's just totally uh detached from the, the narrative altogether and you can just enjoy i don't know it's just crazy fun just shooting the hell out of crap the environments are cool and varied enough for a game where you're between Mars and hell constantly fighting. It's just it's just so fun from start to finish. Even the boss fights in the game are super fun. It's it's a fantastic game. And it got me pretty hyped for Doom Eternal, which is coming out in a short amount of time. So that's pretty good timing right there. But yeah, I played through the rest of that, and that was awesome. And then I played, uh, I don't know why, I played a lot of Roblox this week for some fucking reason. I guess I, I was, it started as like kind of a joke. I was like, oh, I'm going to get some gamer score because I got Roblox on my Xbox. And then it's, then I went down this rabbit hole of like searching for like recreations of Disney theme parks and Roblox and looking to ride the Tesla Cybertruck in Roblox and looking for Sonic the Hedgehog remakes in Roblox. And I had way too much fun doing all these things. It was really weird. And I did that for a couple hours. Um, and then the last game I played this week was Mass Effect, like the original Mass Effect. 
this is one of those games on that list of like, yeah, I know. I never played it. I know I'm an awful person. I don't know. It's just this game came out at a time where like I was not interested in in like anything with even remote like RPG mechanics. Um, so I just didn't give a shit about it. Although I always remember thinking that the sci-fi setting of the game was really cool and that the characters looked interesting, but I just never got around to it. And so I was sitting down this week and I was just like, why the hell have I not played Mass Effect? And so I'm only like three hours into it, but yeah, it's, it's one of those games that holds up really well. It's like, wow, this is so obviously like a decade plus old, but it still is very, it holds up very well. The thing I can't praise enough, you know, only being three hours in, I can't say too much about the game, but the thing I can't praise enough about Mass Effect is like, what a good like how engrossing the story is from the start like the second the game starts like first of all it has a pretty awesome opening but then it's like it's just instantly like I'm so interested in like the characters and the story from the get-go and the game just constantly has so much narrative and obviously you get to make your own decisions in Mass Effect everyone knows this everyone but me's probably played it but like it just feels so fluid unlike you know as someone who plays a lot of like don't nod or telltale games like it just feels like the, the decision making is always kind of slow and makes the pacing of the game slow but in mass effect like the decision making just always it feels so fluid and it feels like it doesn't trip up the pacing of the game at all no matter what you decide to say or do it just feels like the game is always like naturally ready to accept your decision and like kind of really neatly folded into the the narrative from every like even from the most like minute moment to moment kind of decision and i just i really appreciate that about the game aside from that the gunplay does doesn't age well at all in Mass Effect 1. It the game kind of plays like ass for the most part, to be honest. But it's one of those things where it's like I like the world and the story enough that I'm more than willing to put up with the rough like early gameplay um to get through the game for sure. I have every intention of playing this game all the way through and then eventually getting on to two and three. I don't know if I'll start them right after, but I assume the gunplay and everything gets much better in two and three. I know people say that two and three become much more focused on the action and the gunplay, so I assume that means those elements get get better. Um, but nonetheless, I'm finally playing Mass Effect. It feels good to finally be getting this off the list and I'm really glad to say that I'm I'm really enjoying it or at least at least from a story perspective I'm really enjoying it um so that's that's all what I've been playing like I said I, I just somehow found a way to play a lot of games this week and I I wish that there were more weeks like this for me I feel like I never get to play as many games as I'd like um but I'm just gonna try to appreciate the fact that that was the week I had this week and so now we'll move away from all that opening bullshit uh we're done talking about the food we're done talking about the games I played. We're done talking about the, the comments you didn't leave. And now we're going to talk about this week's news for Xbox games. Yay! So our first story today is kind of a follow-up. Well, it's another look at something we talked about a few weeks ago, and it's the backside of the Xbox Series X. So you may recall a couple weeks ago, there was all this back and forth during CES about this new render of the backside of the console. Did we see it? Did we not? Do we know what the I.O. is? But now we have what seems to be a pretty cut and clear prototype of the console images of it front and back that have surfaced online via Twitter user Doug underscore Drago X. The images show the front and back side of the console confirming earlier reports that the console's IO features one HDMI outport and a SPDIF optical for audio devices, Ethernet port, a figure eight power socket, and two USB ports, with the front also containing a third USB port. Um, so sorry, HDMI in, you are out. Uh, so that's that seems to be all that we knew two weeks ago. So same exact story, but now we have some more confirmation as this this box that's surfacing online seems to be pretty likely a demo version of the of the a demo unit uh, it even says like not for resale on the back of it and it does oddly enough have a serial number on it um so i mean it, it seems like a pretty legit one 
let's I mean I guess anything's possible it could be potentially potentially true that this is not an actual render of the console but I highly doubt it however the the thing to still note is that there is that there is still that unknown slit along the backside presumably it's like some kind of dev kit thing so they can plug in something to I don't know something on the back end for devs to use on it I don't know if that'll be on the final unit but it is like near the IO uh, on the back it's just this random slit for God knows what. Uh, so, yeah, not much to really divulge there other than say it looks like what we saw the other week for the Xbox Series X input output on the front and back of the console is all the final version of what we'll be getting when the console ships later this year. Uh, and for better or for worse, we no longer have that HDMI in cable. So all you guys using your cable box with your Xbox or I saw one guy say he was using that port to plug his 360 into his one so that he could play his Xbox 360 while also using Xbox One Party Chat, which is just weird. Everything's backwards compatible. Why are you doing that? But I guess maybe he's playing like some game that's not backwards compatible, like Greg Hastings Paintball or something weird like that. Something I would play. Uh, but nonetheless, that seems to be the confirmed I.O. Uh, the only thing there, I mean, I, I'm a little salty about the HDMI in, although I was fully expecting it to not be there, so I'm not completely surprised by that. And I'm allowing that one to pass. I get it. Microsoft wants to get away from the original vision of the Xbox One, which is funny because they still have the start and select button as view and guide instead of going back to the original start and back button. You would think they would do that to get away from the Xbox One brand a little bit, but here we are anyway. The only thing I will say about this is it, I do find it weird that there's no USB Type-C port at all on this console. It just seems like everything's USB Type-C these days. And even though we don't fully use USB Type-C and fully embrace it um, these days, it just seems like every device has to have or support USB Type-C. So it's just weird to see a box that's presumably going to be supported for the next decade or so not have a USB Type-C port, but who knows? I mean, I guess that could technically still change between now and then. I highly doubt it. The, Microsoft's going to start manufacturing these consoles at, like in the next few months um, to be shipped later this year, so there's no way in hell that like if this is the final picture that anything's really going to change otherwise but i guess anything can happen um but yeah that's the that is hopefully the last time we have to talk about the backside of the xbox one or the xbox series x before we get an official reveal event where we see microsoft talk all about it uh, maybe they'll address all these leaks but who knows our next article this is where we get into our delayed territory a lot of things getting delayed this week first one actually broke like just hours after last week's episode went up so of course it did but you probably already heard about it by now in in case you haven't uh the much anticipated cyberpunk 2077 from witcher 3 developer cd project red has been delayed initially scheduled to come out in april i believe april 16th the game is now set for a september 17th 2020 release date so just a couple months back the official statement was released on twitter by co-founder marcin iwinski and head of studio adam badowski goddamn Europeans. Uh, the statement reads, quote, we have important news regarding Cyberpunk 2077's release date we'd like to share with you today. Cyberpunk 2077 will not be, uh, won't make its April 20, its April release window and we're moving the launch date to September 17th, 2020. We are currently at a stage where the game is complete and playable, but there's still work to be done. Night City is massive, full of stories, context, and places to visit, but due to the sheer scale and complexity of it all, we need more time to finish playtesting, fixing, and polishing we want cyber we want cyberpunk 2077 to be our 
crowning achievement for this generation, and postponing launch will give us the precious months we need to make the game perfect. Expect more regular updates in progress as we get closer to the new release date. We're really looking forward to seeing you in Night City. Thank you for your ongoing support. So that was the announcement. Seems like a pretty cut and clear uh, delay kind of thing. I'm always saying, who gives a shit? If you need an extra four or five months to make the game go from like just okay to pretty great, then by all means, take your time. Don't think creative should be rushed. I understand games, you know, building a game is it's for, it's a company, it's a business. You have to put the product out there and make money eventually. You got to get your return on investment at some point. So you can't sit on the game forever, but in general, I mean, we see games get delayed all the time, especially with big AAA games. So uh, to me, I'm always just like, sure, there's a shit ton of stuff I got to get to playing anyway. So I'm not going to lose sleep over a, a five month delay on Cyberpunk when, you know, I'm just now starting Mass Effect for the first time in my life. So whatever. To me, that's that's all good news. And I hope this delay allows them to get the game running in a, in a place where they're completely satisfied with it so that we can all get, you know, this awesome game that they've been teasing for years and years because I mean, usually I'm not even big on these games. I don't give a shit about Witcher. I don't give a shit about Skyrim or Fallout or any of that stuff. Cyberpunk 2077, that is a game I'm actually very excited for. And um, that's surprising because these are not typically my kind of game. But, oh, yeah, this game looks real good. So take your time, please, by all means. Um, but there is a kind of follow-up story. So, I mean, if you want to go there where, you know, of course. So basically following up, there was a there was a QA and a an investor's call shortly after this announcement of the delay. And one of the one of the guys in the event in the investor's call asked, you know, whether the team would have to be putting in crunch hours in order to get the game out on time for its new September release. And Kaczynski, uh, Kaczynski, the guy from earlier, he, he answers the question by saying, yeah, to some degree, yes, to be honest, we're trying to limit crunch as much as possible but it is the final stage we try to be reasonable in this in this regard but yeah unfortunately basically saying like yeah we're gonna we're gonna put in some crunch hours we're gonna work late nights to get this game finished in time for september um and then this of course led to more controversy regarding crunch hours in the games industry which has been a pretty hot topic in recent years as sites like kataku who have literally no clue what it means to be a game developer or creative seek to evangelize those who don't need defending and an ongoing effort to push clicks and keep the internet heated and divided because sites like Kotaku are just the fucking worst. But yeah, so it's like, I, I mean, I'm, I'm sure you may have heard of this kind of back and forth in the past two years. This really got heated actually in like late 2018 around the time Red Dead Redemption 2 came out with this whole like, you know, there are people working well over like the hundred hour work week was, was like the big quote, you know, people working way over 40 hours a week to get this game done it's a massive undertaking people you, you know like just sleeping in the studio to get this game done now i i'm i'm firmly in the camp that like if you work at a game studio like first of all that's probably your passion and you're fucking lucky as hell to be in that job and yes i understand it's still a job like work gets you tired there are days you hate your job there are things that stress you out you lose time with friends and family because you're at work i get i get that but you know I, I'm the kind of person who has like a boring day job. I'm the kind of guy who has a job where it's like, I'm grateful for my job. It allows me to live, but like, I'm not passionate about what I do. And I'm not going to like, if, if I die tomorrow, I didn't die like knowing I lived the most fulfilling life due to the job I have. However, you know, if I, if I were a game developer, if I, if I had the opportunity to take my craft and my passion and shape, you know, a game that people will consume and enjoy and that will impact the lives of people forever, because, you know, that's what creative artistic projects do to people. They inspire, they, they, they leave a memorable mark on, on players. If, if I had that opportunity, then yeah, I mean, 
then crunch would be like an inevitable side effect of that job, you would think, you know, you would think it's like, hey, we're not sitting here pushing pencils at work. We're creating a game that we love and we're passionate about and we want players to play it and feel all the emotion, all the love we poured into this and to really and to play this and, and to know like, wow, these guys spared no expense. These guys clearly loved what they were doing. They clearly knew what they were doing. They clearly cared about making this the best thing it could be. And so, yeah, you sometimes you work more than 40 hours a week because this isn't a game development. It's not a punch in, punch out job. It's a job where like you're consumed by your craft. It's like animating. It's like being a musician. It's like any artistic craft there is where it's like, yes, you work your ass off. And at the end of the day, it's worth it, not because the money or because you were compensated correctly or your workplace was ethical. It's because this was your passion. This is what you wanted to do. And so, yeah, if you had to spend an extra four months of your life to make the game go from being, you know, a buggy piece of shit to like a perfect masterpiece game of the year title, then that's what you're going to do because this is the thing you've been working on for the past decade of your life and you're proud of it and you have so much invested in it. And, you know, what would be worse than having to crunch for four months to get it from decent to perfect would be if the game came out and it was a piece of shit and everyone hated it and it sold poorly and it got bad critical reception and then everyone laughed at you for years knowing that that was the thing that you were working on so passionately to inspire and, and entertain the world so i i just i'm such a i'm so averse to this whole crunch is bad ethics and like work culture in the video games industry thing it's like it's bullshit no one has a gun to their head being told you're gonna work on this video game and you're gonna avoid spending time with your kids and wife so that you can make this game for us so that activision can make more money on call of duty no one's fucking doing that if you hate the video games industry if you're being forced to work these hundred hour work weeks which i'm sure like very few people are doing then quit Go get your generic fucking desk job that that allows you to work 40 hours and has a beautiful HR team that, you know, the second your boss tells you you're going to have to crunch, you, you can tell on him and then get him fired and then sue the company or whatever. If that's what you're after, you can go do that. But stop trying to conflate these things like like video game developers or these like these voiceless victims that need fucking like Kotaku, like I have the voice kind of guys coming in and being like, don't worry, we'll we'll shine the light on this horrific industry that's taking advantage of you it's like no one's fucking doing that you don't want to be here go the fuck home no one cares but i i don't know i just this is a story i'm only including because i'm so tired of seeing it pop up in the news that i might as well just throw in my two cents it's like fucking like you work in the video games industry i understand like any job i'm sure it has a lot of things that suck and i'm sure there's a lot of days where you don't like your job but at the end of the day if you're in this if you're in this industry if this is what you do for a living and you're not passionate about it and you're not excited about spending your time like so much time dedicated to making it the best, making these games the best they can be, then you're probably in the wrong field. And if you thought you wanted to be a game developer, maybe you were just wrong and you need to get out of it. I don't know. But yeah, I mean, I'm sure the people at CD Projekt Red are thrilled. I'm sure there are more people at CD Projekt Red right now that are thrilled that they have an extra four or five months to make this game better than there are people who are going, oh, well, now I have to break the news to my wife that I won't be home for dinner for the next four months because my boss is being an asshole making me stay late every night so we can get Cyberpunk out the door because that's just not... It's just not how this works. So whatever. I, I get long-winded and passionate about that because it's it's fucking bullshit. It's just such a stupid conversation that sites like Kotaku and guys like Jason Schreier push because they're lame and their sites are dying and they need excuses to make people click on their garbage. Um, but whatever. If that's um if, if you feel differently about that, let me know in the comments. I don't really care. It just is what it is. 
But let's let's stop talking about all these delays with Cyberpunk 2020, 2077, and let's talk about a different delay. So Dying Light 2, remember that game? It has just been delayed as well within the same week. A lot of things have been delayed, and if you're a PlayStation fan, a lot of other things have been delayed too. So look, look into that. Uh, but keeping with the news of delays, uh, developer Techland has announced that their upcoming game, Dying Light 2, has now been pushed out of its original spring 2020 release time frame and now has a vague just delay no no real concrete time frame of when this game will be coming out the announcement was posted on the game's official twitter page by techland ceo paul march choke some european thing uh he says to our dedicated community it was a busy year for us as we continue working on our biggest project to date we know that you are awaiting this game eagerly and we want to deliver exactly what we promised we were initially aiming for a spring 2020 release with dying light 2 but unfortunately we need more development time to fulfill our vision we will have more details to share in the coming months and we will get back to you as soon as we have more information we apologize for this unwelcome news our priority is to deliver the experience that lives up to our own high standards and to the expectations of you, our fans. Please stay tuned and thank you to our fans around the world for your continued support, patience, and understanding. So yeah, pretty, again, same thing as Cyberpunk, standard delay, take the time you need to make it good. Now, the the difference between this one and Cyberpunk is the release date, the spring 2020 was already pretty vague. They never had a concrete date. And here we are in January 2020. It's like, okay, if you don't have a firm date now, then you're probably not going to hit your vague little spring date. So what's going on here? And so then they push it out and it's like, okay, that makes sense. But like, they don't even have like a firm time frame of like fall 2020. It's like, no, now it's just delayed. It's like, okay, that's a little concerning, right? Like, is it going to be a next gen game? Is it going to be released like next year? Or like what, what's happening? Did you guys had to start from scratch? Like what's going on with this game? But I mean, obviously I, I don't expect that to be the case that they had to start from scratch or anything. If they're announcing the delay so close to its original um, release window, but still it's just being so vague about the new release window when the, when you announced the delay so close to what its original release timeframe was supposed to be is just really concerning um, you just think they'd have like some more concrete information to share. Um, but nonetheless, Techland is a talented developer that shows that they can they can make half decent games because the first Dying Light was pretty great. But yeah, I mean, if, if you've never played Dying Light, the first one came out in 2014, published by Warner Bros., self-published on PC. It's basically like Far Cry meets Left 4 Dead, plus some parkour mechanics. It really shouldn't be a great game, but it actually very much is. Uh, and that's really surprising because Techland's previous games were um, Dead Island and Dead Island Riptide, both of which were very bad games. I don't know if you ever played them, but they're not worth anyone's time. So it's just so weird that they came out the gate like crushing it this generation with Dying Light. And I was super excited to see they were making a sequel to Dying Light, but this is uh, this is one of those delays that's like, ugh, you have like nothing really to share about it, and we already haven't seen too much of the game. So I'm just like a little concerned about what's going on with this one. Nonetheless, I'll try to reserve my apprehension, everything about it until maybe E3. I'm sure E3 will get like a re-reveal and a new release date. But if not, that's when I start going, you know, red flag. What's what's going on here? Are they are, are we going to get like a Dead Island 2 thing where we're just going to get a new developer every five minutes for the game and never actually get the game? I sure hope not because Dying Light 2 is a game I would very much like to play. Now, our next story here is a fun one. This is about the the best-selling games of the 2010s. So obviously the decade is now over. The 2010s are now over. And as we leave the decade behind, we remember not which games were most memorable, innovative, or fun to play, but rather the ones that brought the most money. According to the NPD Group, which tracks market and shipping uh, trends and records, the top 20 best-selling games for the 2010s in the United States were, in order, number one, 
Grand Theft Auto 5. This should come as no surprise to anyone. So Grand Theft Auto 5, number one best-selling game of the 2010s period. Number two, Call of Duty Black Ops 3, Call of Duty Black Ops 2, 4, Call of Duty Modern Warfare 3, 5, Call of Duty Black Ops 3, 6, Call of Duty Ghosts, 7, Red Dead Redemption 2, 8, Call of Duty World War 2, 9, Call of Duty Black Ops 4, 10, Minecraft 11, Call of Duty Advanced Warfare, 12, Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2019, 13, Skyrim, 14, Mario Kart 8, 15, Call of Duty Infinite Warfare, 16, Battlefield 1, 17, Battlefield 4, 18, Destiny, 19, Breath of the Wild, and 20, Star Wars Battlefront, the 2015 game. So, obviously, I mean, if you, if you can't tell, that's a lot of Call of Duty, just... just for those who, who didn't already pick up on it, that is every Call of Duty release last decade. That is every Call of Duty between 2010 to 2019. So every Call of Duty released, which was one every year for the last decade, has made the NPD's top best-selling games for the decade. So 20 games, literally 50% of them are Call of Duty. That's mind-blowing. That's amazing. So next time you're, you're trashing Call of Duty and you're going like, Oh, Activision, you're shit. You just keep releasing Call of Duty. You keep annualizing this shitty franchise. No one cares. It's not as relevant as it used to be. Just remember, it's still selling like crack. And the number 12 best-selling game was Modern Warfare, the 2019 game, which is now officially like, what, three months old? It's number 12. The game's three months old. It's outsold Skyrim. Skyrim, the fucking game that's on everything. This, the game you can literally play on Amazon Alexa got outsold in three months. That's how big Call of Duty is. That's fucking massive. And then, of course, Grand Theft Auto V, the game that we see on, like, MPD charts every single month, uh, with, like, rare exception, just the number one best-selling game of the decade, or of the decade, which actually doesn't surprise me at all, and I think it's pretty well-deserved. Red Dead Redemption 2, pretty good to see that up there at number seven. It's only been out a year, a year plus, a year, four months. Um, so pretty nice to see that at the number seven spot overall. Other notable ones, Minecraft. I'm a little surprised to see Minecraft at 10. I, I really thought Minecraft would be in the top three, maybe top five. So I'm kind of shocked that it's only at number 10. But uh, Minecraft, yeah, I mean, obviously on there, of course, but somewhat shocking because the 2010s were obviously Minecraft's decade. I think it first came out in its like kind of early release form in like 09. But Minecraft didn't really get big or take off to like, what, 2011? So I don't know. I, f I find that a little interesting that Minecraft is so low down the list. But again, that just goes to show you how fucking well Call of Duty sells. Um, so that's insane. I, I guess this probably doesn't, it's not including like mobile sales and things like that. So if you included like Minecraft on iPad and iPhone, it would probably be number one, if not number two at the very least, probably number one. So actually that makes more sense. That makes way more sense. And then you got Mario Kart 8, which is just bullshit. I don't know if that includes the Switch version too. But, like, oh, I, I, I assume it includes both Wii U and Switch. But, like, holy shit. People love Mario Kart. Other notable ones, Destiny. Good to see Destiny made the top 20. It's weird that Destiny 2 didn't. But, yeah, I guess that makes sense. Everyone was super high on Destiny when it came out and then quickly realized that only some people like it. Zelda Breath of the Wild. Congrats to Nintendo. I mean, th what's really impressive about that is Breath of the Wild, yeah, it was technically available on Wii U. But it came out as a Switch launch title. Let's be honest. Everyone played it on Switch. So, that's really impressive to see a game that was, like, barely on two platforms pretty much just on one platform make the top 20 best-selling games for the entire decade knowing full well that like pretty much everything else on that list had the opportunity to be sold on like three or four hardware platforms so like 
I don't know. That's pretty impressive to me. But congrats to Destiny for or, or uh, Breath of the Wild for hitting the ni- number nineteen spot. And that is no, that is nothing to sneeze at. And then you got Star Wars Battlefront at twenty, which is funny. It shows you that no one gives a shit about Star Wars apparently anymore because all the other Star Wars games didn't make it. There it is. It's at twenty. Remember how bad that game was? The first Battlefront. It's okay. The second one's much better. All right. So yeah, that's I don't know. I think it's just that's just fun to look at those numbers and be like. You know, like in the gaming community, this this generation, people have talked so much about like your Souls games, your your Witcher, and what else? You know, all these other kinds of games that just don't rank sales wise on this at all. It's just kind of funny. It's also a little surprising that like NBA or FIFA don't really make it onto this list because those games sell so well. But uh, nonetheless, I don't know. I just I really like looking at sales charts and things like that. I just find them super fascinating. But now we'll move on to our next story. We'll do some kind of smaller stories before we wrap up for the week. Actually, we still got a couple. So this one happened like just before I recorded earlier today. And this is, I'll just read it directly from Xbox Wire. It says, uh, this is about Project Mara, a new new something in development from Ninja Theory over at Xbox. Uh, The story reads, quote, Today we are announcing Project Mara, our new in-development experimental title that explores new ways of storytelling. And we're excited to share the first details with you. Project Mara will be a real-world and grounded representation of mental horror based on a real-lived experiences account, experience accounts and in-depth research. Our aim is to recreate horror of the mind as accurately and realistically as possible. Project Mara will be an experimental title and a showcase of what could become a new storytelling medium. Since joining Xbox Game Studios in 2018, we here at Ninja Studio Ninja Theory have been hard at work on our upcoming multiplayer brawler, Bleeding Edge, our recently announced innovative R&D project, The Insight Project, and of course, Senua's Saga Hellblade 2. These projects will continue to drive our development goals for the next few years and will be and will help shape Ninja Theory's vision for the future. Um so I mean, yes, this is a video game. The first thing I thought of when I saw this announcement was that the Insight Project that they announced, like, what was that, like, a month or two ago? The kind of thing where they're, like, working with, like, sci- I don't know, like, psychologists and stuff to, like, look at, just do more, like, interactive media-type research pertaining to psychosis and mental health in general with kind of a vague idea of whatever that project's supposed to be. But this seems more like it's obviously going to be a video game, but it's going to be a video game that kind of blurs their understanding of what a traditional game is and tries to be more of a, a learning experience or like a kind of more of like an, I don't know, just like an experience and less of like a traditional video game. I have no idea, but it's, it's weird to see Ninja Theory. I'll, I'll be honest. At first I was like trying to be really enthusiastic about everything Ninja Theory is working on, but now I'm like, all right, you guys got three big games in development. You got this Bleeding Edge, which is a game that's about to come out, but you have to support it. It's going to be like a games as a service type deal. And that's your only like regular video game you got. Then you got Hellblade 2, which is yeah going to be a regular video game, but it's going to be like this big, it's going to, while they don't claim any of their games to be AAA, it's going to be their most AAA-esque kind of big project, their big story-driven first single-player next-generation game. And then now they've got Project Mara, which is going to be, you know, whatever this more experimental title is going to be, which I assume it's going to be something much more like bite-sized and small compared to Bleeding Edge or, or Hellblade. But like still, it's like Ninja Theory is a really tiny team. There's like 40, 50 people that work there. And I'm sure they've been expanding since they joined Xbox Game Studios. But like, yikes, you got three games in development. Like now I'm a little worried. It's like I hope they're not spreading themselves too thin between these three games and this inside project that they're working on. It's just like, I don't know, like maybe slow your roll down. And they're going a little really heavy handed on like this whole like uh, mental health thing that they're exploring in their games, which I think is cool. But at the same time, it's like, all right, don't don't become all one note on us, you know, like 
if that's really like your the creative thing you want to the through line the needle you really want to thread then by all means go ahead and do that but it's like remember you guys used to make like heavenly sword and like dmc and all that stuff it's like don't forget to make like fun games too i mean i i guess that that's what that's what bleeding edge is all about and you know i I have yet to really play any of their recent stuff so like i had to reserve my judgment but also it's just like I don't know. It seems like this is a big undertaking for a small team to be doing, but uh, I have faith in them. I think Ninja Theory is a great team. I want to see them do well. I just, I don't know. Maybe this is something they're announcing really early that's not going to be out for a long time, but I I do worry about the amount of coals they have in the fire um, versus, you know, the amount of manpower they have to make this all work. But nonetheless, only time will tell, and then we'll see how things are going over at Ninja Theory. Our next story here, a real quick one. It looks like after leaving Ubisoft in 2019, Splinter Cell creative director Maxime Bilan, Bilan, something French, has returned to the company to head up along with one other, one other yet-to-be-announced person, Ubisoft's newly expanded editorial team that oversees the creative decisions on all of the company's games. Bland left Ubisoft early last year to go and work as a creative director at Epic Games, but quickly left later in this very same year. Uh, There's no word on if his return spells any hope for the future installments of the much-beloved Splinter Cell series that he's responsible for, but here's hoping. Um, And I just threw this in here because I know Splinter Cell fans are, and Xbox fans tend to have a line a lot because Splinter Cell kind of has a lot of history with the OG Xbox, and fans have really been clamoring for a new installment, so hopefully this has something to do with that, but judging by his new role, it doesn't seem like that's necessarily a, a, a series of dots you can connect, but you know, here's hoping and welcome back to Ubisoft to that guy. Our next one, per Windows Central, we just pulled this news of that the Mortal Kombat collection online was a co- canceled compilation of for the first three Mortal Kombat games, fully remastered. Um, however, a report from Gamatsu states that despite initially being canceled, um, the game was just rated by the Pan-European Game Information Board, meaning that perhaps this game still has some life in it. The report reads as follows. It says, The, the Pan-European Game Information Board has rated Mortal Kombat Collection Online for PlayStation 4, Xbox One, Nintendo Switch, and PC. Mortal Kombat Collection Online was a collection including remastered versions of the first three Mortal Kombat games developed by Blind Squirrel Games. As of April 2019, it was reportedly canceled. The new rating suggests the project may still be in the works, end quote. So weird that we see this happen sometimes where it's like ratings boards or like online retailers internationally like like amazon uk or something just leaks something and then it's like oh what do you know that we are getting this thing or this is coming out um so if it got rated then i assume it is coming out but at the same time i find that odd that it just kind of went quiet and was canceled but now we're apparently getting it i don't care to speculate on this too much because i don't care about mortal Kombat. i'm not a fighting game fan and i really don't give a shit about remaking the first three um but nonetheless if you are a mortal Kombat fan you may or may not have that thing to be looking forward to. So there you go for what it's worth. Now we got some new games releasing on to Project xCloud this week. So a good bit of xCloud news. So Microsoft has released a dozen new games into Project xCloud Preview that players can jump in on right now. The list of new games is as follows, and it's a pretty good list. It's Halo the Master Chief Collection, Destiny 2, Sid Meier's Civilization 6, Batman the Enemies Within, the Complete Series Episode 1 through 5, the Telltale series, and then... The other Batman, the Telltale series, complete season, episodes one through five. So both of those Batman uh, Telltale series games. The Wolf Among Us, speaking of Telltale. Wasteland 2 Director's Cut. And then The Surge, the first one, which I've been meaning to play, so that's nice. Super Hot, Portal Knights, uh, Goner, Blueberry Edition, whatever the fuck that is. Kingdom Two Crowns, uh, Sparklight, Tracks, the Train Set Game. 
and Train Sim World 2019. I guess the, the, the collection's much nicer at the top of the list than it is at the bottom, but you get the point. There's like That's like five times the games on Google Stadia right there, plus one of Google Stadia's biggest games is Destiny 2, and now it's on xCloud. So, you know, that's just a massive catalog, including what xCloud already had. That's a massive catalog compared to what Stadia has. Not to, you know, do fanboy comparisons, but like, yikes, dude. Google Stadia is not looking good by comparison of Project xCloud at all but nonetheless let's end this on some good news i mean canadians will be getting access to project x cloud next week our canadian neighbors welcome aboard we hope you enjoy we hope you enjoy project x cloud as much as we have been welcome to the team and then our wrap-up story which also ties into project x cloud now this one reads exactly from windows central i just pulled the story so quote microsoft partnered with sk telecom back in october among the first mobile carriers under the exclusive contract to support the rollout via their 5g networks the partnership continues with the latest expansion inviting more users to preview tests while further expanding available titles in the region the announcement also provides the first insight into project x cloud preview usage data with microsoft spotlighting incre- spotlighting increased platform usage in the region. Project xCloud preview participants in Korea on are on average spending 1.75 times more time gaming and revisiting three times more compared to participants in the U.S. and in the U.K., stated SK Telecom in a press release. The increased interest comes as a little surprise with Korea among famed mobile gaming havens. Over half of the Korean online population consumes mobile games, according to the according to NewZoo, providing ample opportunities for future Microsoft expansions. That follows hard times on the Xbox One in Korea, with PC and mobile dwarfing console adoption at the heart of ongoing localization woes. Quote, Our partnership with SK Telecommunications has played a valuable role in helping Microsoft reach new mobile-first gamers while also learning more about delivering high-quality gaming streaming through 5G networks, stated Corporate Vice President. President Project X Cloud Kareem Chowdhury. As we enter the next phase of our preview in Korea, it is critical for us to have a strong partnership with a respected company like SK Telecom to push the technology forward. End quote. Project X Cloud preview is now live in the US, UK, and Korea, and almost in Canada with Xbox console streaming leveraging at home hardware now available in all Xbox supported countries. So this is like really impressive because this is the one that ties back to what my brother was saying at the beginning of the show which is that microsoft's in you know back in the old days microsoft was trying to get into japan by initially saying you know japan is a gaming centric country maybe they'll adopt xbox and they didn't and then it was okay well we need you know we need a smaller controller and that was when the duke controller came in on um, the the original xbox but then it was also well we need more japanese centric games on our console and then there was a big push especially in the early 360 years to get a lot of japanese games on the xbox platform and that didn't work and then by the time the xbox one came around everyone knew like xbox just doesn't hold up in japan it's just not going to happen but you know obviously in when we talk about gaming in asia we talk about way more than japan especially these days and what we know about about these asian countries is that people are playing games on their phones and obviously people are playing games on their phones anywhere i still see people playing pokemon go like a bunch of nerds on a daily basis but in asia in particular mobile gaming is massive so what's the best way to get people in asia to start adopting xbox if they're not going to go out and buy your 400 hundred dollar box well Put your games on on mobile devices because guess what? Nintendo and Sony aren't putting their games on mobile devices. So if you do it first, 
well then hey now they're playing xbox and i think it's worked out tremendously for them which we're seeing here sk telecom is just saying like hey people in korea are almost twice are almost playing x project x cloud twice as much as people in the u.s and the uk that's amazing and that make and i totally buy that too because i i barely play x cloud i play it sometimes just because i think the tech is awesome but nine times out of ten if i'm playing a game i'm sitting on my couch playing my actual physical xbox i don't give a shit about touching a game on my phone i just don't do it and i don't have a life that like a, a like a commute or a work environment that allows for me to play games on my phone so anyway so it's just not a thing i'm doing no matter what so but this makes sense nonetheless you know in a lot of asian countries there's a lot more public transit where people are playing games on you know all around and then these are just a lot of parts of the world where like the kind of console gaming culture just hasn't been adopted there as much. So people don't, it's just not as big a deal when new hardware is released that people go out and buy the hardware specific for the gaming, but rather people already have these phones and these computers in their homes and in their pockets that they use for whatever school, work, whatever daily life. And then if they just so happen to play games, then that's the device you use to play your video games, which makes a lot of sense. And so that's just how it works in a lot of these parts of the world. And now what we're seeing with Korea is they're really adopting Xbox like crazy via Project X Cloud, which is just phenomenal. And honestly, it's a great way for Microsoft to sell some accessories and, and controllers. Um, but with all joking aside, I mean, this is just really impressive to, stuff to see because Microsoft is a country, is a company, or Xbox is a brand rather that just struggles so much in Asia. It's so exciting to see them you know, find some success. And I think xCloud is the answer. Um, so we can only hope that this continues to grow and grow as xCloud reaches more countries, more territories, and then moves out of beta and into a more permanent sense, which I think we'll learn more about in at E3. I think E3 is going to have some some surprising xCloud news about about like a more permanent release for the platform, which I'm excited to learn about. But I, I'm, I'm, get, I'm betting that between now and then, we're just going to hear little tidbits like this until E3. And then that's when we get our next big update on what to expect from xCloud. So that's going to do it for this week's news. Now we will go through the new game releases of the week because you demand it. The audience tells me on a daily basis, this is what they come here for. And I respect what you say. So we will go through it. Our first game this week. Now there are 11 games coming out this week. The first one I'm pretty sure was delayed because it says the release date is the 21st, but then it's crossed out. And now it says March 24th. Nonetheless, it is on the list. So we will go through it. The game is called moons of madness. It is a picture of some snakes over some like grave or something. It's creepy. So if you're a kid who wears dark makeup, if you're a kid who listens to my chemical romance, if you're a kid who wears dark pants, if you're a kid whose parents don't understand you, this is likely a game for you. Uh, you are the moons of madness and much like, much like the release date of this game, you make no sense. So go ahead and play that game. You fucking nerd. Our next game is called Kentucky route zero TV edition. Now this game also has the date crossed out. So it said January 21st, but now it says January 28th, leading me to believe it's been delayed for next week. Uh, which means that if this game shows up on the game release list next week, you best believe I'm reading it twice. Um, but essentially what this game is, is it's, it's you're in this, you drive this FedEx-like truck, you pull into this gas station, but it ain't no regular gas station. No, it looks much more like a, it looks kind of like a Tesla gas station, but that's, that's an oxymoron because, you know, Tesla doesn't sell gas. But nonetheless, it looks like a gas station designed by Tesla, but you quickly find out it is in fact Ford-related because attached to this convenience store, there is a giant statue of a horse's head attached to the, the roof of this building. So clearly, this is a Ford Mustang gas station. Nonetheless, you are a very confused FedEx driver because you're just here to deliver a package and you don't need to know who owns this building, but that is why they call it Kentucky Route Zero. Um, and then our next game is called Foxyland 2. 
Um, the reason why this game is so foxy is because it's in the shitty uh, art of 1816, probably 12-bit art style, um, and you play as a cat, so furries beware. You're in for a, a jerk-off game. Uh, next game is called The Office Quest, where you play as a bunch of guys dressed up as animals, so this is quite literally a furry game, uh, and it's out on January 22nd, so this is about furries. There's one guy dressed up as a pineapple who's yelling at all the furries, and so what I assume is that there is a new breed of, um, of sexual deviants. These are not furries. These are called um, these are called veggies, and they are they are people that like to dress up as vegetables and 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 do some sexual stuff. And so they're at odds. I assume this is something about you know the veggies kind of being at odds with the furries, saying, "Hey, we're all one and the same. We're all fighting the same uphill battle to get our respect and get our attention." Um, I don't think we need to be fighting or be so averse with one another when really we're all fighting for the same equality and respect. And I am inclined to agree with the pineapple who is making that argument. Um, so if you're a really progressive person, I highly recommend the office quest. Um, or if you just like to get dressed up as various animals or fruits and get freaky, this is a good game for you. Now, our next game is called football tactics and glory, which is an awful name. The game looks like a top down Wii sports game with a little bit of Sims. Um, and it just, I'm not even going to waste my brain cells talking about this game. It's its soccer, it's European football, so again, it's just absolute waste of time. Our next game here is called Lumini. It comes out on the 22nd. It's um, its something. It looks like a, like a, like a low-budget uh, Ori in the Blind Forest, in, but instead of playing as one tiny creature, you play as like 40 of them, and they all fly, and there's red, yellow, and blue ones, so you can pick your color, but ultimately, I think this is just some, like, f color guard rainbow game, um, so that's cool. Next game is called Grease. It's spelled incorrectly as Gris. Uh, I didn't realize this game wasn't already out, but it says Xbox Game Pass for PC beta, um, and so when you have that many caveats, like it's only on PC or it's in beta, uh, then I don't have to pay attention to you because you don't matter, uh, but nonetheless, you play as a very skinny girl, very stick skinny girl who's running up a hill and I don't think this game has uh, uh, very realistic expectations for the female figure as any girl who is that size body wise is probably absolutely dead uh, but nonetheless there's a cute little robot growing a flower on its head in the background so that's a it's a nice little comment on the um, on the kind of argument of like nature versus or, or like of like man-made versus nature and the kind of the blurring of the lines of man and machine. So I do I do like that commentary that the game definitely offers. The next game is called Mosaic. It is about people riding escalators. There are so many escalators. In fact, the game is basically just an endless escalator simulator. So if you're the kind of person who likes to go to Universal City, Universal Studio, Universal Orlando, and you like Universal Orlando, and you like to stand on the moving walkways but not move on the moving walkways then fuck you this is a game for you it's called mosaic it's about how basically when you decide to stand on a moving walkway you look like a mosaic and um yeah you can basically just ride those escalators straight up to hell you fucking idiot uh our next game is called icon class it is a mega man zero gravity looking pac-man game uh, where you play as the guy with the uh, the guy the cowboy cowboy Thanos, and there's the G Gundam girl, uh, and it's a play anywhere title, which as we know means that just because you can play anywhere doesn't mean you should play anywhere because you absolutely shouldn't play this game. And then our next game is called Rugby Twenty, which is a stupid sport. If you want a good sport, you could go play chess. And then our next game is called Dream Ball. It is another soccer game. There are way too many soccer games, but this one's cool because there's a shark in the middle of the field. So hopefully everyone gets eaten to 
death for playing soccer. And that is going to do it for this week's games. I recommend... If I can only recommend one of these games to you, it's absolutely going to be The Office Quest because I think that's just a really important game in terms of its messaging. Um, And, yeah, that's going to do it for this week's games. Just as a reminder, last week for January for your games with gold, you've got Sticks Shards of Darkness, which you can get through the 31st. Batman the Telltale series, you can get that through February 15th. Tekken 6, you already missed out. It's gone, you fucking idiot. And lastly, LEGO Star Wars 2, the original trilogy, which is available until the 31st. So go ahead and download those games if you have not already. This is Jesse signing off for Jesse. I appreciate you listening to the show. As always, it means the absolute world to me. I I can sense that right now your fingers are, are on your phone pulling up the iTunes App Store. You are reviewing me five stars. You were saying very nice things about my voice, and I do appreciate that. Uh, so absolutely thank you for the five-star reviews and the comments and questions you're going to leave on YouTube and whatnot. And until next week, Eric? It does, does it? Mm-hmm. How did I treat you? Like a water buffalo? I don't know from water buffaloes, but I do know about him. I suppose you'll demand the divorce I begged you to give me so that I could marry Jim. I guess not. She wouldn't let me. Who's she? Mom, of course. Like you said, a human being, I'm going to make you take that chance. Certainly. Why, I wouldn't let her stay. Suddenly what? No, no, that's the name. (laughs) That's a funny name for a town.